the Mysterious Universe, Season 30, Episode 19. Coming up on the show, we've got the activation of the King's Sphere, Nazi CIA donkey tulpers, and the forbidden discoveries of Alessandro Poro. I'm your host, Benjamin Grundy. Joining me is Aaron Wright. You did ask me the question before the show, how is that even possible? Believe me, it is. In regards to the CIA... Nazi tulpa donkeys. It's not the tulpa donkeys that I have a problem with. It's the CIA and the Nazis. Aren't they two opposing forces? Well, it's funny you should mention forces. They are apparently, according to George C. Andrews, whose work we're going to go into later on the show, uh, he was quite convinced that the uh, metastasized cancer that was the uh, occult practices within the Nazi party, particularly within the SS and, you know, other higher echelons, was uh, essentially scraped out by the US government and placed within the CIA. And now the CIA, in connection to yet another group, according to Andrews, is essentially responsible for catamutilations, what we could be called possibly glandular juice of animals. Glandular juice. Yes, which is used (laughs) to sustain them in this reality, that kind of stuff. I hope hope you've got some pics for that segment. No, I I didn't do that because I'm like, this is actually pretty gross. But no, in all seriousness, uh, this is really fascinating in the sense that I started off preparing this segment to talk about cattle mutilations. Mm. And I was like, you know, I've got some strange elements about cattle mutilations here. This went down a path that I did not expect. Because you had this Extraterrestrials Among Us book on the last Plus show you were referencing. Yes. Is this still what you're doing? It's from here, but it also led me down another path. And uh, look, George C. Andrews says it like it is. Well, at least to him how he believes. And so he starts off talking about this diminutive race of little beings that were getting around, possibly controlling the earth. Next second, we end up with a paralyzing ballpoint pen that's used to incinerate people in coffins. It's just like, (laughs) by the end of the day, I'm like, where am I? What have I been reading all day? You're home on Mysterious Universe. I've got no idea what is going on. And so I'm going to share that with our Plus members so Mm -hmm. they have no idea what's going on. I'm repping the uh, MU hoodie today because uh, we... Wore the same shirt again. <laughs> we both came in wearing green shirts. We've got to be, again, we've got to be like women and coordinate this stuff. How did that happen, though? you got to call me in the morning and... Oh, I'm not doing that. No, just at least send me a picture of your outfit <laughs> so we can synchronise our outfits. Like, if you wear green, I'll wear yellow. Right, okay. Or we'll a nice up, blue to offset it. We'll set up a colour wheel so the complimentary... <laughs> So yeah, I'm wearing the say it's a little bit chapter one. The Emmy hoodie available in the store. Get it today. Mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash store. Are you gonna tell me it's not available? I don't think that one is at the moment. God. (laughs) Look, if it's not, probably by the time the show goes out, I'll have it available. I'll put it in there. Speaking of Nazis. Oh yes, you had a rather intriguing day from what you're telling me. Oh, this is super weird from Rabdo Team. Rabdo team includes the work of Marco Zagni, who is this individual here. He's one of the authors of this book. There's four authors. Couldn't find this is the only picture I could find of the guy on the internet. Uh, he's, rather obscure. He's Italian, he? so everything's in Italian. But I started to find some of his books in Italian, and I couldn't understand the titles. But they had like weird submarines and strange um, fighter jets on the front of them. So he's a military author. Yeah, that's what I thought. I translated them. Everything he writes about is Nazis. Uh, <laughs> Everything yeah. is like a Nazi historian. Uh, but he is the co-author of this fascinating, absolutely fascinating book called Ancients Awakening, The Archive of the Lost Race Revealed. Uh, I just saw this today. It, it's been out in Italian for a couple of years, but it just got a translation. And this is, is it better than my Spanish translation. Is it an actual translation? 
it's it's not a great translation. Ooh, but maybe they've used ChatGPT. It, it's serviceable. It's not ChatGPT. It's a serviceable translation. It's the story about this eccentric genius engineer, this Italian who in the 1950s in Italy started to gain a lot of attention because he was uh, a genius at finding oil, at finding water sources through a particular dousing method he devised. It wasn't with your regular dousing rods. He... Uh, he actually invented a machine. He called it the electrodivinator or something, and it was it was powered. And he would use this to essentially enhance the, the the powers of dousing. And he was so successful, he ended up being recruited by oil companies all around the world mm. to find oil deposits. He was hired by excavators. Uh, he was hired by even some churches in Italy. Looking for what? Well, they hired him so that they could do excavations without damaging some of the foundations of the church. Oh, and he would use this device, uh, which gave him some kind of 3D graphical representation of what was down within the layers of the earth. On the device or in his mind? Well, that's where it gets a little bit dicey. I'm not sure. He had all these reproductions of things that he he drew so, yeah, I, I, I presume it's what he saw in his mind. But the device, I'll have pictures of it later in this um, segment, it's clearly powered. It's got uh, electronics in it. It's got machinery inside it. It has some kind of display on it. So it's a, it's a really bizarre story because pretty soon after he uh, made his name for discovering you know, oil and, and he was working in South Africa trying to find oil deposits and he was successful reportedly, he ended up doing his own independent research in Italy and more concentrated in the region of the Alps. He claims he started to discover metal spheres underground. What kind of metal spheres? Giant metal spheres. And so I'm going to be going into this today because the Rabdu team, which is uh, four investigators, Marco Zagni, Diego Marin, Loris Bagnara, and Piercarlo Bormida, They've essentially found some old uh, diaries and old research that was discarded in the 1970s. It's like this guy and a team of researchers got together and they were doing some really exotic, uh, very groundbreaking research that all of a sudden vanished. It vanished in the 1970s. Now, to kind of tell this story, I, this is the guy I want to um, share with you. He starts off with a bit of a narrative. This is Marco Zanya here. He writes the introduction and this guy, he works as a business consultant, but he's been kind of an amateur archaeologist right. his entire life. Mm -hmm. And back in 1998, he visited this uh, rock plateau of Marcahuasi, which is in the Andes in central Peru. You might have seen this before. It's really fascinating uh, formation. Yeah, we're familiar with this. Um, there's, you know, beautiful erosion, natural erosion of the rock there. But as you'll see on this next slide, there's been some, let's just say, left of field interpretations of the rocks there. <laughs> some people think they're depicting uh, Egyptian gods or some kind of animals. Is it uh, holding an ankh or something? Yeah. Some people say that the rock formations are so, are actually really ancient uh, man-made constructions. They're right. not natural at all. And so uh, he went there and That's kind of a little bit Rex Gilroy, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is a little bit it's Italian Rex Gilroy. Rex Gilroy. <laughs> it is a bit Rex Gilroy. Uh, he went there again in 1998, and he did some investigations there and wrote a bunch of articles about this site. And it was through these articles, and apparently he claims he was the first Italian there, which I find hard to believe. It was 1998, but 
he wrote these articles and they got the attention of a famous Italian geologist, this retired professor. His name was Floriano Villa. And he reached out to him in the spring of 2000. Again, this was another really hard guy to find, but I ended up finding a photo of him. He's the guy in the front there in the foreground bending down. That must have been taken in the 1960s. In the dark, like right in the middle. Yeah, in the 60s or 70s. He's right down there in the bottom. That's uh, Floriano Villa. Uh, Again, apparently a very well-known, highly published Italian geologist. I found some of his papers online. So that checks out. But this meeting, again, April 2000, they got together and um, the the Zagni wasn't quite sure what he wanted to talk about. It was a kind of a strange meeting that this old geologist would reach out to him. And he knew it was about the articles he had written. But anyway, they sit down and this professor, he's, I think he's in his 70s at this stage, he, uh, he learned about his Peruvian investigations and they kind of break the ice and he gets to know him a little bit. And once he said, once this professor Villa understood that uh, Zagni was really an adventurer who had an open mind and was willing to, um, you know, entertain out-of-the-box ideas, this professor sent his assistant out of the room and sat, sat him down and said he was convinced that human civilizations were cyclical. Okay, yep. And he started to share with Zagni some of the oddities he'd experienced over his long career, 30, 40 years in the business. Is that in line with what we were only talking about last week? What were we talking about last week? I can't remember. Archaeology and there being, you know, strange uh, paranormal experiences that archaeologists have had at certain sites. I didn't even plan it, but yes, yeah. this is a sequel to your episode last week. That absolutely follows Well, I would on. imagine a, a geologist would, you know, have similar sorts of paranormal encounters because you're going to these sites and these, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, uh, you know, defined to be just an archaeologist that would have those experiences. If it's the site and you're a geologist and you start disturbing the ground, you're likely to trigger some of these experiences. Well, he sits him down and Professor Villa starts to explain that in the 1960s, when you know, he was a young man, he's working on a site doing the geological work for digging the foundations for a new shopping mall. Mm-hmm. And uh, he claims he saw with his own eyes as they got to a particular layer, uh, they discovered essentially what was the layout of modern homes, uh, apartments and and construction. He claims they found... Uh, what could possibly be still functioning sewage systems. There was toilets. Uh, it, it was clear that it was highly, highly advanced. But and was it in a layer of rock that was at a time where we would have thought that that wasn't possible? Well, you'd think it was probably the Romans, right? Yeah. No, this layer was 600,000 years old. What? Yeah, and he claims it was clear, without a doubt. It was plumbing, it was toilets, it was like a modern layout of a home. But humanity wasn't even walking at that point. Yeah, so obviously this is a problem. This is why he sent his assistant out of the room and sat down Zagni and said, look, I need to confide in you. Now, Professor Villa told him that there was an intervention after this discovery of an unnamed intelligence agency who came in and covered everything up and made sure everyone shut up about it. He doesn't detail who it was. He just calls them Western Secret Services. But immediately, this is getting crazy. Like, this is just right in the introduction. There's some kind of cover-up of an ancient discovery in Italy in the 1960s. But when he's saying Western, is he implying three-letter agencies from the US or the UK? Is that... Again, I don't know. He just says Western secret services. So, uh, Zagni writes that obviously Villa 
had never lectured about this. He had never mentioned this in his in his career. He had never mentioned this at university. He said these were top secret topics, but now that he had left the academic environment after 40 years, he could now share some of this. He wanted to confide in someone. And during the subsequent meetings that took place, they basically got together once or twice a year. The professor slowly summarized some of the findings that he's made quietly over the years. And he essentially boiled it down to three key points. The first point was As I said earlier, he came to the understanding that human civilizations are cyclical. Uh, They develop, then disappear after huge intervals of time. Mm. And that's why he mentioned that layer of rock or layer of clay. Yeah, such a significant amount of time. Which is 600,000 years old that clearly had advanced human beings. Mm. Uh, He says, in fact, human skulls of the modern Homo sapiens sapiens have been found in strata from millions of years ago in Italy. Uh, Number two, he says the second point is scientific conferences exist behind closed doors. And this was intriguing. We heard recently, again, on a show it came up, Jacques Vallée's mention of the secret, what was it? Oh, the Invisible College. The Invisible College, Mm. which was the idea that there's very serious scientists for decades have been getting together behind the scenes to discuss UFOs. Or an inner circle of knowledge that we're just not privy to. Yeah, they don't talk about it publicly, but they take it very seriously and they're very involved in this research. It's just behind closed doors. So he essentially said a similar thing is happening, but with ancient history, with archaeology. That would make sense. There's this, uh, yes, secret school of scientists who have international meetings. They have conferences, but it's very close. It's obviously closed, very small uh, invites only. And they maintain absolute confidentiality. So very high OPSEC and you can't reveal your identity and things like that. Um, Some meetings, he said, concerned the unexplainable formation of mountain ranges. Hang on, what does he mean by that? Well, some of these academics who are working on this behind the scenes claim that uh, they've had to bring into question the artificial, what is called artificial orography, i.e. the formation of mountain ranges by some kind of intelligent design. Now, this is intriguing because... You mean like geoengineering? Yeah. This came to mind when we covered the star mirror Mm -hmm. from Mark Vidler. That would have been over a year ago now. Uh, the cosmic symmetry in heaven and earth, of heaven and earth. And Vidler came to the same conclusion. He yeah. started to map out uh, ancient monuments and their correspondence to mountain range and star mountain ranges and star systems. Oh, was this the isosceles? No. Yeah, this was. The, the, the isosceles, isosceles triangle. Triangle yeah. layout. Uh, I'll see if I can link to the original show in the show notes. But that was fascinating mm. because he made a great case. And even though he thought it was insane, it seemed to point to the idea that a very long time ago, there was some kind of geoengineering of these ancient mountain ranges. Well, I mean, that his argument was actually quite compelling when you looked at it on maps. But I mean, it's like even here, like we've got the the allegations of the Gimpy Pyramid, right, which has now been you know, bulldozed to make way for a housing subdivision. Um, but with the Gimpy Pyramid, right, when you go out in that direction out there, um, because you can drive out to like little country towns, you know, out in Queensland, and I was only there a couple of weekends ago. And as you're driving along the highway, there is literally what looks like a pyramid in front of you. Like you can, it's unmistakable. You look at it, there is this massive pyramid, but it's not a pyramid. Like it's just a mountain, but the shape of it is almost from a certain angle, this perfect pyramid. And it just happens to be right near where the Gimpy Pyramid was. And I'm like, yeah, all the mountains around here have that kind of shape. It's, it's really it's strange. strange. They do look like very, um, engineered, distinct, I don't want to say engineered shapes. I mean, and what Vidler's talking about 
is something from obviously something from an epic that we can't even oh of fathom. course yes like we're talking the idea of civilizations going back millions of years uh, so interesting that that came up the third point is that our current technological civilization balance must not be altered. What does that mean? Well, here's where the translation issue comes in because it's not exactly clear, but from reading further, the idea was that our technological progress as a civilization is regulated by outside forces. So like a breakaway civilization, extraterrestrials? I'll get into it. I'll get into it. You know what just occurred to me, though, when you were said the line there before that this is, you know, timelines we're talking about this, that are so significant. But what comes to mind is that, you know, there are those um, you know, those finds throughout history of things like the uh, sandal crushing the trilobite that's been found at a certain layer. And that layer was millions of years. And people are like, well, how is that even possible? How is there a sandal marker that stepped on a trilobite? Human beings weren't here that far. Or chains being found, you know, in mines that's also in a layer of rock which is hundreds of thousands if not millions of years old there was one that hit mainstream headlines recently i wish i could remember the details but it was essentially shoes that were hundreds of thousands of years old yeah uh well the imprint of shoes and there's multitudes of them Mm. well in any case on that idea of this secret college of scientists investigating ancient history or alternative ancient history professor villa this aging professor admitted to zangi that he collaborated secretly in the 1960s with a small group of researchers. The problem was that they disbanded in the 1970s and Professor Villa had lost contact with them and he desperately wanted to reach out to them again. And you get the sense that he's coming into the twilight of not only his career, but uh, I don't think he lived much longer after these initial meetings. It was just a few years and he eventually passed away. Yeah, you look back on what's good and bad and, you know, I think a lot of these people feel like that they should share this knowledge. Well, once Zagni had heard this incredible story from, again, what is a highly reputable kind of famous geologist in Italy, he started to write an article about some of these things and he had two motives. Obviously, he wanted to share what some of what he had learned, but, and he kept the, his um, identity secret, by the way, He also wanted to use it as bait, and he hoped that if he got it published somewhere, the the surviving yeah the surviving members of that secret college of uh, scientists would reach out to him, and they would be able to get get them together again. But the question is, why? I mean, is it just because he wants to reminisce, or does he have new information? Well, I was wondering why they stopped, and that is a whole other story, right? So. He, Zagni publishes this article and ends, ends up going into Nexus magazine. Mm-hmm. And we know Nexus magazine because it's Australian, but you, you might not know that it's in multiple languages all over the world. There's yes. like a German edition, a French edition. It's, it's everywhere, on them. Nexus magazine. And I think it's run individually in each country as its own kind of outlet. So anyway, he gets it in Nexus magazine and he's lucky because in short time, he's contacted by a Mrs. Luciana Precicelli, who... She ended up passing away in 2010. She's no longer with us. But back in the 1960s, she was the group secretary. She managed all their meetings and, you know, took down the notes and contributed all this thinking herself. So he ends up meeting her. Zagni tracks her down. They end up getting in touch. This was 2006. And she essentially, he said, confirmed everything to me. Everything that had been told to me by Professor Villa was absolutely true. Moreover, she herself had kept part of the classified documentation of that period. And finally, she was able to let me meet with the journalist who for 10 plus years 
followed and annotated all our research. His name was Mario Miniacci. So now he's got another lead. He's trying to get the band back together. So a lot of the book is the diaries of this journalist who was with this group of researchers. Uh, he had lived in isolation, though, for more than 30 years. He lived in this villa in the woods near Lake Varese. Uh, when he actually, when he caught up with him, when Zagni caught up with him, he was over 90 years old, but he remembered everything from that time period because it was the most exciting part of his life. Uh, he passed away in 2009, but Zagni uh, spent a lot of time with him, managed to get all these old journals, mm. all these old diaries. So again, that's what the book is. It's all this old research and and this guy documenting what this group was doing in Italy in the 1960s. I'm surprised though that if, you know, the, the describing intelligence groups showing up that somehow this managed to survive, that his documents were somehow not scurried away. Yeah, it's all his private, private stuff. So when when Zagni sat down with him, he started to talk about the Poro case, and this whole period in his life was surrounding was surrounding this individual. This is the engineer I mentioned at the start of the show. Yeah, right, Alessandro Poro. Here he is on the screen here with his electronic diviner. So this is like a Tesla type character. Um, Who's that guy that invented the television again? <laughs> He's a little bit like that individual. Not Farns, Farnsworth. It's a little bit like Farnsworth. Yeah. Where an incredibly eccentric, but by all accounts, really? genius man mm. um, with perhaps some um, psychic sensitivities as well, which mm. made him very unique. Well, I wonder if this is a case of, you know, how we've described those stories of people that, you know, develop these incredible, you know, instruments that seem to have these paranormal type abilities. And if anyone else tries to use them, they're useless. Yeah, I don't know if that's the case here. Probably is. But when uh, when the, he caught up with this Maniachi, this aging journalist, and he mentions this Poro case, he said he's tried to stay discreet about it for 35 years. And this is also what's interesting about this case. It's like they spent time researching something. They discovered something. And then they were forced to stay silent about it for nearly four decades. Hang on, what do you mean by that? So they, they came across something that was, what, out of time, doesn't fit the time frame, the narrative. This, and is they what were... I, this is what it was building up to. I'm like, what is he talking about? Mm. What did they find? It's really intriguing the way this story set up. So he ends up organizing a dinner and, kind of, again, gets the band back together. He gets Mianacci, um, Professor Villa, and uh, Luciano, who I mentioned earlier. And he says... Once we got together and I heard them discussing this, I realized that there was this lost and forgotten story of Italy in the middle of the last century. And again, it's all surrounding this man, Alessandro Poro. So Poro, again, he was this skilled engineer, uh, skilled inventor as well, and supposedly combined his scientific knowledge and his dousing ability to create what's on the screen there. It just looks like a, I don't even know what it is, <laughs> yeah, it the top looks, of a tripod. looks like a webcam. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an Italian webcam from the 1960s, which is very advanced. Oh, of course it is. For the yeah. 1960s. Mm. Um, again, he gained contracts for oil companies. He did all this hydrogeological research. He worked for excavators. He, there's all this stuff in the book about the verified discoveries that he made and uh, some of the commissions he gained from various outfits all over the world because he was so in demand. So then it seems like there definitely is something to this device and his abilities. Yeah, it, it certainly seems that way, at least anecdotally. Mm. And he started to get some serious attention for his ability to accurately determine 
not only what was at depth, but what was at great depth. So he could see, he could penetrate layers with his so-called device that just didn't make sense. And again, it was very simple technology. So he, oh, I'm missing an image. I'm missing a, a fantastic image. Let me bring it up. On oh, my, you've stuffed it now, Ben. That's a magazine cover of him from the 1950s. And he's holding the device in his hand. And see down below, there's like an old burial. There's two skeletons oh, in an ancient right. coffin. Yeah. Uh, so that was a magazine from 1963. And there's another one here. Oh, that image is really cool. Where he's going in and... So he's standing, up, he's standing on what appears to be just a, a grassy moor. But beneath it, if you can't see this, he's uh, basically standing above a tomb of some kind or a... Yeah, it looks like some kind like of... a cathedral type brickwork underground dungeon from Diablo. <laughs> mm. So what's it bouncing back to? So he must, does the device, does he hold something in his hand and then it like must like radar or sonar bounce off something and come back, does it? Well, yeah, there's, it looks like there's a device on the hill there, which is separate to something he's holding in his hand. And notice how what he's holding in his hand, it looks like those little bags. It does too. <laughs> it looks like. Yeah, from Gobekli Tepe and um, where else was All it? those Sumerian yeah. carvings. It looks like the same thing. He's holding that little bag. Did we just crack the code of is the bags? It is. <laughs> and I've got some images here of the device as well. Oh, it's far more rudimentary than I expected. Yeah, that's the projector of the neutro waves. Ne uh, are neutro waves even a thing? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> Unless it's a translation issue. So what? So... So it shows this box with a weird piston-like, I don't know, apparatus coming out of the center. But what's all the red stuff? It's um, It just looks like compound or tape. It looks like duct tape. <laughs> but this is some of the surviving prototypes. He apparently built three of these. And you can see this top image here. Clearly, it had to be plugged in somewhere because he's got three phase, a three-phase power lead there. Oh, it's just a power lead. It must be earthed. Earth power lead. Yeah. Sorry, I should say. So, yeah, very intriguing. Um, but there's, I mean, was there radioactive material in it or something? Well, suddenly in the 1960s, this guy disappeared from public life. Remember, he was traveling the world, getting all these jobs, and then you couldn't find him anywhere. All his work went underground and all of his uh, inventing stopped as well. So people started to question, like, what happened to this guy? Breakaway civilization got him. Well, according to Engineer Poro, the instrument worked too well. Mm. It could see up to 1,000 meters into the earth. So a kilometer. Okay. Think so about that for a that's second. That's pretty deep. <laughs> that's ridiculous. How far can modern ground penetrating radar go? It's nowhere near that, is Surely it? Surely you can't go a 1,000 meters. It's nowhere meters. near that. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's you got to drill down there. Uh, can you even drill that deep? Well, Surely you can. You yeah, can. yeah, you can. They, um, you know, mining companies and oil companies drill that deep. But um, I don't know if they how they see it. I think they, they understand what's going on by taking samples that they've pulled up and they Z analyze it. Zagni said in the book that um, they can essentially, modern radar can go up to, well, less than 1,000 meters. He says that's un unthinkable even for modern geo radars. And what he started to discover was allegedly this incredible prehistoric past of the continent. Traces of humanity from tens of millions of years ago. Millions. Traces of tremendous geological upheavals, of wars between worlds, of cultural decline and new humanities. And I, maybe that's a tra translation issue. Maybe that means different races, different kinds of beings. 
The discoveries had been too shocking, and the group was forced to disband around 1974, and Poro's three prototypes were reportedly destroyed. So what we, we were seeing on screen there was just kind of the leftovers of the pieces that were found. So what did he find that was so shocking? Like, yeah, obviously ancient civilizations that old is pretty shocking, but why would he need to shut everything down? Well, Poro had died some time ago. He uh, passed away in 1976. But in the 1960s, together with other technicians, he again was commissioned by these large international companies to study the subsoil of the Po Valley and the Prealps. And this is, well, to make it easy, this is the Swiss Alps, basically. And several times, hundreds of meters down, he claimed he, with his instruments, was detecting dozens of large metal spheres. How big are we talking? Uh, I think the biggest is 90 meters in diameter. Okay. Yeah. So significantly large. Huge metal spheres. Mm. Uh, Many of them were much smaller, like I think like 10 meters diameter or less. Solid? Hollow. Okay. Uh, In other cases, it was impossible to describe what was found except for resorting to a paradoxical explanation. Again, like weird translation. Apparently, he claims he detected huge unknown machines with very daring structures. <laughs> Come on. Come on, translators. Functioning or not functioning? Well, it said that there were caves that seemed to house cities submerged by dozens of meters of earth and stones. In other cases, the search sonars literally went berserk with the search beams being deflected by opposing telluric forces. <laughs> like a, a shield of some kind? What is happening? barrier? What is happening? Like, the old, ain't millions of years old humans is extreme enough. What is going on? Metal spheres under the ground? Well, this is what, and we'll go into this in the plus extension, but this is what Andrews was suggesting, is that there are, you know, alien groups that have secreted themselves subterraneally. Secreted? That's a word. Um, But in subterraneous (laughs) fashion. And that's that's where they are. That's why, you know, people see UFOs flying out of mountains and, you know, from underwater. It's because there is a presence here on Earth, according to him, and they're underground. Well, to answer your earlier question of are the machines still functioning, the short answer is yes. How, what did he see? He claims that it looked like forces were coming from these unknown machines, which were, quote, still working. This engineer confided in his other colleagues, and it was thus decided to continue this research in private Um, also due to the fact that occasionally several of those mysteriously metal and concrete spheres exploded underground and destroyed themselves. What? (laughs) They've got like a self-destruct mechanism if they're detected? Well, it's like this guy set off some kind of ancient booby trap. Yeah. And they started exploding underground and there's all these like little earthquakes going off in the Swiss Alps. And this this weird dousing guy is like, whoops, I think that was me. Uh, So what is going on? Well, now we go full Italio schizo disco. <laughs> it's now the early 1970s, and this pool of researchers, who includes that geologist that Zagni has been told all this information, this obscure one. Yeah, this this is uh, this is the group, the band that's back together. This is the core research that was work, the researchers that were working with him. Uh, they discovered that some intelligences were acting on the Earth sending impulses from an unspecified base on the moon, destroying these metallic underground spheres remotely in order to have them remain undiscovered by humanity and by these Italian researchers. 
<laughs> so now I'm just like, Mamma Mia, what is going on? Remote. Okay, now I'm we've just, got. I'm just lost. Now we've got bases. So there's giant metallic spheres underground. Yeah, of course. But and they're not being the booby traps aren't being set off. They're being remotely detonated by an undiscovered base of someone on the moon. But how do they know this? Like, how do they know this group? Where did this group get this information? Uh, with his amazing machine that he built, he could <laughs> he could read tablets he found underground in some of these chambers. You mean Joseph Smith style? Yes. And I'll I'll get into that in a moment. That's a very complicated part of the story. I'll get into that in a okay. moment and I'll dumb it down. Oh, is that, explain is that it the like, script that was on the cover? There's yeah, there's some weird script. Uh let's let me go back to the cover. Yeah, because I was I noticed that and I was like, oh that's odd. It looks like, you know, obviously some type of script. That's the script. That's a sample of the script. It's that- like a, a- very geometric form of katakana. And he claims that inside some of these spheres, they were almost like libraries left behind to retain all this knowledge. And he said it was a mathematical language, and that's how he was able to translate it once he worked out the math, because right. he's an engineer and he's, he's a pretty good mathematician by math all accounts. a universal language. He was able to decipher them, he claims, and they revealed that they had these bases on the moon. But can I ask a question? <laughs> sure, go ahead. <laughs> Why would some civilization write that and then put it in a tablet and leave it in the ground? Great question, and I'm going to answer that in a moment. Um, so it it turns out the reason the group was disbanded, you know, this question of why did they stop all their research? So they're making all these incredible discoveries. Why did they have to stop? Well, the story was told by uh, Tzagni by Professor Villa. And this is interesting because Professor Villa said to him, you cannot repeat this story until after I die. Mm-hmm. And he stayed true to his word. He didn't reveal the story until after 2014. That's when the professor passed away. So is there still some fear of um, a form of rep- reprisal or something? Well, there certainly was. And perhaps he wanted to protect his reputation, but obviously you'd probably care about that posthumously as well. Of course. But in the spring of 1974, uh, this engineer, Poro, he claims he got a phone call. He got a phone call one day. He answers the phone and it's an individual he doesn't recognize who doesn't introduce himself, but in this low monotone voice starts very accurately describing what Poro and this group of scientists have been working on secretly for the last four or five years. This individual says that you are being watched. We know everything about your research and we know everything about you and your colleagues. Your study group is under our full surveillance. This is what he's told on one of these weird phone calls. And obviously, Poro is ups- he's upset. He's like, who the hell are you? How could you possibly know this? Because everything they'd done had been secret. Nothing was published. They kept it really on the download. They didn't really tell anyone what they were working on. They hadn't done any really major excavations that would make a lot of noise. So Poro was really scared that it's disturbing. And at the time, there's other mention when he was working overseas, he was actually approached by the Soviets for his technology. He claims that this was in the middle of the Cold War and they actually wanted to um, get him as an asset and use his technology for submarines or something. He claims that's why he came back to Italy and started doing quiet work there. He was worried about just disappearing and being taken, being kidnapped. Well, also, I mean, it would probably have applications if you stick it to the side of a satellite and are looking for missile silos or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So Poro is just blown over, blown away by how this person can know all this. And 
this individual on the phone demands a meeting. He says, you must meet with us. And he, he's, he names a, a time and a place. And Poro, to his credit, says, I don't want to go alone. I want to bring a friend. And the voice on the phone says, you're permitted to bring someone with you. And so he, he brings Professor Villa. Mm-hmm. And this is why Professor Villa knows the story and told it to Zagni. Well, before I reveal the meeting, I should share a little bit more of, again, exactly what he was describing. Actually, no, no, I'll save that for later. I'll, I'll explain the meeting. I think this works in the context of the story. So the meeting's organized at this restaurant at Lake Garda. And Lake Garda is the largest lake in Italy. Just beautiful, mm. stunning. Oh, Italian, Look at it. Yeah. Like absolutely like, breathtaking, uh, beautiful villas around there and the mountains surrounding You've been it. there? I've never been there. I'd love to go there. It looks really incredible. Um, so they go into this restaurant and they sit down and they're told to basically wait for this meeting. Anyway, they sit down, they order a water or something. And then after about 10 minutes, two strange characters walk into the restaurant. One is of a medium build and just looks kind of pretty normal, like a normal Italian guy. And he seems to be the one who keeps up the majority of the conversation for this lunch. The other guy is extremely tall with a strange skull, like a weird squared off skull. And he seemed bizarrely absent during the whole thing. Like this weird skinny guy, he spoke in monosyllables and very often he would look completely distracted like he was zoning out or something. And he would often look at the sky and just like his eyes would glaze over. It was very strange. What, like he's taking orders from something? They had no idea. It was just really spooky, like a men in black kind of encounter. But an awkward men in black. Yeah. Even more awkward. Uh, the normal guy told Poro and Villa that it had been several years that they had known about their secret research activity with the, the dowsing tool. And Poro's discovery of what they were now calling the Eocene civilization. This is what the the spheres and these machines and all this stuff underground was built by the Eocene civilization. The reason they called them the Eocene civilization is because because Poro claims the soil layer that all this was uh, in was thirty three million years old from the Eocene era, basically. So we're dealing with a civilization 33 million years ago. So put that into put that into perspective. And that's why they find screws inside bedrock. Yeah, right. And this individual tells them that for 5000 years the normal path of technological evolutionary knowledge has been programmed for the current human civilization. This is what I was alluding to earlier, that our development technologically is predetermined. It's by guided, who? perhaps by whoever these weird guys are in the restaurant. The dissemination of the archaeological findings that they were starting to uncover, this individual told them, would create incredible problems for that very uh, intricate, detailed planning of our technological development. It would be a huge spanner in the works. Thus, um, it they needed to shut down their research. This is what they were told. Oh, because we've sometimes in the past suggested that the men in black are some type of uh, paranormal police that stop people from 
you know, spreading information about not just UFOs, but potentially the technology that they interact with. I wonder if these guys are along the same lines. Yeah, it's an interesting idea that the Earth is a kind of fishbowl. <laughs> it's yeah. set, set to be a certain way for certain reasons. And there, simulation. there are these regulators and they're going around regulating knowledge, making sure that certain things aren't exposed. That's the idea here. But this individual reveals to them that he is part of a group that is, uh, I guess, enabled with hereditary memory, he said. And they can essentially recall information going back millions of years through this lineage of these beings. This is what he tells them. So this is how they're kind of the inner group as well. Because remember how we were just talking about the way that you know, classified knowledge and information is transmitted and is, is kept secret is through like an oral tradition, essentially. Yeah. If you can somehow genetically encode it, well, that's another way to that, keep it that's, secret. That's what they're told is it's passed on from father to son. And it's like this secret society that has this um, hereditary memory that enables them to access knowledge from their ancestors. Uh, he's also told that if... They've basically foreseen that if his discoveries come to light, it will diverge the predetermined path for humanity's technological development. And the the problems that will stem from this will include military confrontations globally, but also with forces outside the Earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we are now crossing into ETs, interdimensional beings. Yeah. If you find level entities. the underground metal spheres, the aliens will come and blow you up. That's, from the moon. <laughs> that's what's From their base on the moon. Uh, basically, the engineer's activity had not been foreseeable in this historical phase, and it, it was better to suspend this investigation and destroy the devices, his three things that he built. You have to question that, though. Like, if you're able to foresee and control everything else, why did you not foresee a guy like essentially Neo rocking up and messing everything up and developing some technology to be able to see down that deep. Like, why would you not anticipate that? I don't know. They were, maybe they were busy that day. They were playing Tetris <laughs> or something. Or they think that humanity is stupid and are just like, ah, they'll never know. They said they've been, there's been mistakes in the past and it's caused major upheavals, but they could eventually correct the course. It kind of reminds me of um, Asimov's books, the Foundation series. Have you, you know there's the Apple TV show Foundation? I haven't seen it. I never watched it. No. I, I stopped watching the TV show and I started reading the books and the books are phenomenal. And the central core of the idea is it's it's like very vast scale and there's a grand um, galactic civilization that's in its decline. And Asimov wrote about all the signs, these red herrings of the ultimate destruction of this civilization. So there was this gifted mathematician that essentially through his advanced maths could see into the future and laid out a plan. It's called the the Selden plan, which would if if civil if human if humans stuck to the plan after the fall of civilization, the Dark Ages would only be a thousand years instead of like oh, a, only that long a hundred thousand years. Oh, okay. And a new a new empire would rise out from the ashes of the old one. Oh, I need to read that. And so there's a, there's secret groups in this series of novels who their their whole goal is to make sure that humanity sticks to this plan and much of it is done from behind the scenes they don't do it overtly they do it covertly it does sound very similar though. so it's a similar idea well did society end when atlantis collapsed and now we're just in the dark ages and so we're going to recover but as long as we stick <laughs> to a certain plan well it's on a smaller scale because the sci-fi is like galactic scale but surely we can keep one planet in order you would hope but they actually give him a warning they say if you don't 
destroy your machines and stop your research, you'll be you'll be dead by 1976. You'll die in two years because it's 1974 when he had this meeting with these strange individuals, and uh, he actually died in 1976. From what do we know? He doesn't mention how he passed away, but it's odd. <laughs> According to Villa, and remember Villa said, don't tell anyone this until after I've passed away. So clearly he was worried as well. It's quite uncanny just how much of this stuff crosses over with Andrews and completely by accident because Andrews has an entire chapter, which I didn't even go into, but he's got an entire chapter on strange suicides. Really? Yeah. And he's suggesting essentially that the powers that be, and they're not who you think they are, uh, essentially are killing off people and making it look like suicides, but to keep their agenda. And that is a technological agenda. Hmm. So it's a very something similar that's going on with these Italians or this group of Italians. Well, they, they didn't really get a word in. They didn't get to ask any questions. Because they're not strange there to individuals. And it was, again, like these common stories, like John Keelian-style stories where the witness is um, not mentally fully in control. Mm. And they eventually did get a question off of, um, you know, where can we find you? Like, if we need to talk to you. And these, apparently these guys said, oh, we work at the local funeral parlor. Of course they do. So these of guys course, are men in black, of undertakers, and yeah, they're they're always ghoulish. That's men their in black. day job, <laughs> but behind <laughs> the scenes, they're these weird men in black. Um, and they yeah, they did everything possible to ensure that human civilization could develop harmoniously. And there's a chain of them around. The, they're like a secret society across the entire world, and they're the ones that are on the moon. But it's the 1960s, right? We've just really uh, you know 20 years before come out of a devastating Holocaust and the Second World War and, you know, millions of people are dead. What possible, you know, terrible thing could happen from finding a couple of spheres? Like, how could it really get any worse? Like, we're in the middle of the Cold War. We're starting to get into, you know, the heavy parts of the Cold War. Like, surely it's not going to be that bad. Maybe they did find the metal spheres and the world we have today is the consequence of that discovery, <laughs> which we don't know that's about. That's a bit of a mess too. Yeah, that's a good point. So these, it's revealed these were the men that destroyed the metal spheres underground to try and stop Poro from discovering them, from, from digging them up. So they reveal that? Yeah, they tell him that they, they're actually based on the moon as well and they remotely detonated them. Uh, these strange men were a, a group of people with particular abilities and this is where he discusses the atavistic memory where they have philosophical and scientific knowledge learned over millions of years they were the ones who periodically were forced in various parts of the world to blow up these hollow metal spheres and evidence of this ancient civilization. Do they keep but, it? but in some cases, they say they managed to awaken the beings inside the spheres. Oh, so there's beings inside them. Yes, this is where it's revealed. What, in suspended animation? They're hibernation spheres. <laughs> and there's, they're full of beings. And they're killing them. And so... What uh, Poro eventually discovered, and this is before his research was shut down, I'll put it up on the screen here. He was finding fields of these underground pods. See the pods on the map there? Is that what those black dots are? Yeah. And he's mapped out what are essentially, they look like military They're units. grids. They're, yeah, grids of hibernation spheres of these ancient warriors. <laughs> <laughs> ready to come out. Waiting for what, though? He did cross-sections. I've got one on the screen here. Can you zoom in a little bit on that one? Uh, yeah. So is That's that some kind of underground device. Uh, that's another map he did, and we can zoom in. You can see all those little square Field plots. He's finding these spheres everywhere. And this is 
What on? That's like a, a coffin. And that's someone inside one of the hibernation spheres. So what's that? An Eocene man in hibernation? He actually details, like he claims that he could see, and again, this must all be like psychic vision, right? Because he's it's a divining machine. He claims he could see like elaborate machinery and tubes hooked up to them. And he details how it would do something to their kidneys and it had some kind of electrolysis going. He said the... Um, to keep them in suspended animation. The heart rate was so incredibly low. It was one beat um, every 40 seconds or something longer than that, like every minute 40 or something. And so he's just got these... It's just so fascinating that he has piles and piles of what this information. That? This is another cross-section of someone inside one of the hibernation spheres. I like that there's a... Um, a there's tube a, sticking out of your butt. There's a butt tube. You can imagine that over 30, <laughs> 30 million years, there's going to be a lot of a Chafing lot of waste. <laughs> it's out of <Yep>. his mouth. <laughs> imagine if it was, went the wrong way. So there's like a tube coming into his mouth and one out the, look what appears to be the back. Maybe that's the kidneys for urine. What if you get a dead arm? What if you wake up and you got a dead arm? Well, the arms appear to be behind their, their back. It's, it's actually quite surreal though, isn't it? Oh. Spoiler. <laughs> I just read the spoiler on the screen. Something Audio barnacle. <laughs> so um these strange men, they basically uh said that, that well, this is the engineer was told that the various more evolved human civilizations had occasionally transferred men and vehicles to the moon or Mars or inside tunnels on the earth to preserve the species once some kind of cataclysmic danger had passed. Um, after a millennia, they returned. They would return to the Earth or its, surf, its surface, and this would be a cycle that was repeated. So, once a civilization reached an advanced stage, they would always do this. They would either go underground, go to the Moon, go to Mars, go just get off planet, so that they would wait for the cataclysm to pass and then eventually return. Why? There's some kind of weird cyclic cataclysm that keeps on coming through. Yeah, this is one of his fundamental points. Is this is the way? civilizations what, cycle through, what, whether like it's comet coming through volcanic, whether it's an impact, extraterrestrial impact or whatever. There's something always inevitably goes wrong. Now he's claimed, he claims that the government knows this. There's some, Pretty not government, claim. but some powers, the uh, important authorities on our planet have an agreement with these beings not to divulge this news, but they've they're in favour of a gradual release of technologies. This is an exchange technologies thing, exchange of technologies going on uh, in exchange for silence, basically. Um, some of these men in hibernation were reanimated and have now infiltrated our society. Reanimated. <laughs> yeah, Rihanna, I like it. So this is why he stopped his research in 1974. It's why he destroyed his machines. It's why this group disbanded. And they were close to uh, finding artifacts. Like you can see on the screen there, that's one of their excavation pits uh, in Castellino in, in Italy. How deep down is that though? I mean, surely I they can't be digging that deep. I don't know. There's, there's another image of where they took their wives down there, so it can't be that bad. Um, that's probably how the, the word got out to the secret group. <laughs> they just like told all their wives... <laughs> Got to keep it secret, fellas. Um, so, as predicted, he passed away in 1976, which is kind of creepy. Because um, obviously he didn't stop, apparently. Well, he starts going through the descriptions of the spheres. And again, all of this is in the diaries of Mianichi, who worked closely with him. 
Uh, he said, yeah, some of them had a diameter of 40 meters, 70 for others. In the spheres, there's water up to about half the height. And then he elaborates on there's some kind of biosphere in the other half of the sphere. Like he detected plant matter and some kind of mix of oxygen and nitrogen. So it's like some type of hydroponics outfit that's sustaining yeah. plants that are lost to history. He talks about a, a tube that goes to the liver. and Oh, he, that's the tube coming out of the back. He even breaks down the... Uh, makeup of glucose and sugars that's dripped in over time to assist the hibernation. Like, it's very elaborate. But technical by the sounds of it. Yeah, the metabolism was one beat for every 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Yeah. But eventually he found a supersphere, which was over 90 metres in diameter, and he claims it contained the king of these ancient people. And again, he was now calling them the Eocenes because they were over 33 million years old. And this civilization, they had to go underground, they had to go into these hibernation spheres, and they had to flee to the moon, and they had to flee to Mars. So the question was, which I spoiled in the video a moment ago. Well, not yet. What were they fleeing from? And the answer was an invading force of monster octopuses from the Jovian <laughs> moon of Ganymede. <laughs> these guys. <laughs> so hang on, let's just make it very simple. Space octopus. Yes, space octopus coming to kill you. That's what they were fleeing for. Dude, I would I would get that oh, tube up my bum yeah. <laughs> and go underground for 30 million years if that was coming after me, wouldn't you? Look at it. I don't want some purple Ganymede octo-rapist coming to get me. When did they become rapists? <laughs> cool. Haven't you seen anime, my friend? That, that is true. Yeah, that like, is We know true. how these things yeah. go. Mm. So... Yeah, this is all detailed in Mianichi's diary. Again, the question of how he discovered this, it, it comes down to these tablets he was he was finding. In Mianichi's diary, this is dated August 23rd, 1968, he said they came from Ganymede, um, that's the satellite of Jupiter, the enemies of the Eocenes departed with ships to bombard the mines of the moon, and according to Poro, where they had their minds was uh, Mare Imbrium. That's the location on the moon where they had set up these spheres to do all this mining. And it says the majesty of the king have departed because they destroyed some of the mines. They destroyed some of the facilities on the moon, these, these octopoid entities. But what's weird is 30 plus years later, you know, our old pal Richard Hoagland, mm. he started to talk about the remains of uh, a civilization on the moon. And he's well, he's well known for the face on Mars and Cydonia and all that stuff, but perhaps lesser known is his detailed supposed discoveries on the moon, which include glass domes and weird stuff like that. Who's the other guy? Mark Barra has a book on that as well. Yes, Mike Barra's got it. And um, there's also another guy that I covered. Remember how he was describing the images of NASA with the colors yeah, from yeah. The, the glass shields? I don't know if that was Mike Barra. There's, an, there's another one. You know what's interesting, though, just to cut you off there for a second, Ben? Ganymede apparently is composed of such you know significant amounts of water that apparently there's an internal ocean that contains more water than all of Earth's oceans combined. So that's the question where you go, well, did we know that back in 1972 yeah, or whenever I, it was? I don't know. Did we have that information? Or did he just guess octopoid people? Well, if oct where are octopus going to live? Well, think about this. He mentioned specifically that they're mining at Mare Imbrium and 30 plus years later, Richard Hoagland claims that there's, there was mining on the moon. And where does he say it was? Mare Imbrium, the exact same place. He claims 
and Mike Barra claims there's evidence of some destroyed glass spheres. And I don't put much stock at all in those photos they claim show that stuff. No, but well, it's just I mean, intriguing. It's, it, it's open to, you know, um, paradoia, you know, isn't it? And um, the what is fascinating, though, is then you've got remote viewers like Ingo Swan mm. describing, you know, yeah. mining on the moon. Spheres on the moon yeah. with these strange men in them. Uh, in his diary, he said the... Uh, the atmosphere is made of helium and oxygen inside these spheres. The work is colossal. The shells are melted on down on Earth and then transported and assembled on the moon. And yeah, again, he was getting all this from these tablets, these writings, these tables. Um, one tomb in particular with the king in suspended animation, he found what seemed like uh almost like a hall of records where it was basically laying out the history of their civilization, how they were attacked, why they had to flee. Uh, This is what he was claiming. But what's bizarre is this sphere that supposedly contained the king, when he went to investigate it later, he found that it was empty. And there's an interesting part of the diaries where the journalist is like, hang on, what happened? You said it, but that that was the sphere with the king in it. And Poro is like, yeah, it it activated. He's gone. (laughs) So the uh, the king, what, what do you mean? Like he's like he activated? Did he just climb ki- out? Did he teleport out? Was remotely reanimated. And where is he? Well, in the diary, in Mianichi's diary, he says that there were all these UFO sightings, um, and he he talks about something to do with them communicating with the king, and it's almost like De Gaulle saying, "If there's a war, wake me up." That's what the king the king had this instruction. Like in the future. Make sure you wake me up if something's going on. But the question is, did you, did he just somehow integrate into society? Did he pretend to be? No, he went to the moon base, most likely, or underground somewhere else. I don't know. <laughs> Again, how does he all know this? Well, let me show you some of the images of the translated tablet tablets. These are the spheres. Oh, fascinating! The, the library that was found in the spheres. Why are they different colors? As he transcribes sections of it, he's insane. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I just turned it upside down. Oh. What am I doing? Uh, that's one of the individuals of the Eocenes. They had horns, by the way. I horns. probably should have mentioned that earlier. Yeah, they're horned humans. Um, and this is something that that um, Professor Villa found in the archives later. He, he Poro just had stacks and stacks of these papers. So if you're not seeing this, this is pages of what he says Eocene writing. Pages of this alien script, which somehow... Uh, just think about it for a second. 33 million year old script, which he alone managed to translate yeah. with no Rosetta Stone, no key. Uh, there's another. Cross, oh, it's cross. so much more complex there. It really looks like, an, it looks alien and it looks digital. It does look digital. It yeah. looks like it's printed from a machine or a circuit board or something. Okay, so this is intriguing because some of the stuff he spoke about from this writing include, and it's, Kind of weird for the 1960s. He spoke about genetically engineered soldiers that, that they, is were, unusual they were trying the to breed to fight the Ganymedians, the Jovians. Uh, he talks about Matinte. This is really weird. Matinte is uh, intelligent material. And he starts describing what is essentially AI. He's describing artificial intelligence. He says that there was material. He doesn't say machines. He doesn't say computers. He doesn't say robots. He says there was materials that was like life. It could communicate with you. You could communicate with it. 
but it technically wasn't alive. This is something that Linda Moulton Howe, you know, has has touched on in the past with some of her alleged sources of there being, uh, what does she call it? It was like, it wasn't self-replicating, but it was like machines essentially or materials that could form whatever structure they wanted. And, you know, they would work for you. You remember that old story of how, you know, a scientist picked it up and it pulled out his eye and cauterized the wound, like a very, yeah. you know, sensationalized yeah. story. <laughs> But it fits into this greater theme of there being actually uh, artificially intelligent materials. Yeah, he talks about a lot of weird stuff like climate control systems, military things, death rays. Uh, but the final one I wanted to mention is absolutely bizarre. There's the existence of a body that has power over their civilization. And it seemed to have come late in their civilization. And he calls it the Great Sphere. And maybe you can help me understand this. Maybe this is a translation issue, but I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around, it, around this. He says, it is located inside the terrestrial globe. So inside the earth? We, yeah, which makes me think it's inside the earth. Mm -hmm. It is a sphere concentric to the earth. Its surface is as distant from the outer crust as it is from the center. Okay. Its diameter is therefore half of that of earth. Uh, Poro baptized it the great sphere. So my understanding is this sphere, yeah, it's inside our earth. It's half the size. So it's like a hollow earth kind of idea. But he said it came from outer space. And it somehow got itself inside the earth's it, yeah. crust. So there's a suggestion that it's not entirely physical. It's like, it's a right. metaphysical sphere. It's mm -hmm. something in another dimension. And what's its purpose? It control, it starts to control their minds. And this is what, this is really the start of the downfall of their civilization. He claims that this, this central sphere, this grand sphere, the great sphere, started to control individuals in their society and it eventually formed two factions. Oh, it's the TikTok sphere. Yeah, there were the loyalists who followed the king and there were the revolutionaries who followed the great sphere. And when the great sphere didn't get enough followers, it decided to punish the loyalists of the king and it's the great sphere he says that summoned the hideous octopus creatures from the jupiter moon ganymede he called in these guys for backup isn't this the, just the it's weirdest just story surreal. <laughs> it's it's really it's like well then the sphere is the sphere has it been sent by an enemy of this this group or is it a, an intelligent material in itself that has just, what, hatred for humanity or wants control? Is it extraterrestrial? Like, what is it? It, it wants total obedience. It's like a Borg sphere. Yeah. It's not a cube. It's a sphere. Uh, in many communications of the Great Sphere, it is stated that the future living beings would have discovered atomic energy approximately 32 million years after the Eocenes entered their hibernation. Which is now. Which is now. Which is our period. In other communications, it is argued that in a future time, the Great Sphere would have exerted a direct influence on the events of the Earth, and the king was greatly concerned about this, fearing being defeated in a war that the Eocenes, once they re-emerged from their spheres, would have to fight against the future people who were allied with the Great Sphere. So immediately, this brings to mind Agatha. This brings to mind, what's his name again? Oh, yes, the king of the world. The king of the world. Yeah. It, I had his picture up a moment ago. Where, there he is. What's his name again? Uh, Alexandre Saniv Dalvedra. Dalvedra? Alexandra Dalvedra, you know? He's got that weird French name. It's impossible to 
pronounce this guy, the guy who wrote this book, The Kingdom of Agatha, A Journey into the Hollow Earth. Um, it's this idea. It's the same idea. The Eocenes will awaken, come to the surface once again, and the king of the world will reemerge. It's the same. It's the same concept. Legend. Now, this guy, uh, I'm just going to call him Alex. In 1885, he claims he was visited by a group of Eastern initiates, one of them being named Prince uh, Sharipf. It was then that he uh, learnt of the Ascended Masters who were based in the caverns of Agatha, and they communicated with him telepathically. He wrote about this secret location and published it in a book in 1886, but worried he had revealed too much. Under the influence of these Oriental contacts, he destroyed all but two copies of the book. But the books, but thankfully, two copies survived. Um, he believed that within the hollow earth, there was going to be this, there was this civilization that still existed and they were just waiting for the right time in history to re-emerge led by the one true king. But this is where there's some contradictions and why it, it must be etheric or something uh, or interdimensional perhaps is because if that sphere is where it, they say it is, well, then where are the people in the inner earth living? Well, it's, here's what's interesting about because obviously this is batshit insane. Of course it is, right? yeah. We, we don't need to say that. But what is intriguing about it is that the story is the same archetype mm. that for some reason has entered the consciousness of the mystical West for quite a long time because our pal Alex and Agatha, that goes back to the 1800s. But you can even look at... Like Theosophy Ed, describes something yeah, similar. Yeah, Theosophy talks about the same thing. Edward uh, Bulwer-Lytton's The Coming Race... So this great sphere, it used some kind of energy to control people's minds. That's what Bulwer-Lytton described with Vril. Yes. Vril energy yep. came from this inner civilization of the hollow earth. It even reeks of the Shaver mystery because Shaver spoke about underground machines and the Deros and it, it's the same archetypal story. And so what I found so intriguing about this is, and, and credit to the team that's investigating this, this, the way they approach it is quite, I don't know how to put it. It's, it's the right way to approach it. They're not discounting it because it sounds crazy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The fact that it's crazy just kind of adds to the intrigue. It's like, what actually was behind this? Because clearly this guy isn't going into the earth and pulling out spheres with ancient aliens or octopoids or something inside it. There's something else going on. There's something metaphysical going on. There's something going on in his consciousness. He's tapping into something that's real. And towards the end, just in their conclusion, they were saying that the fact that he's tapped into this archetype doesn't mean that he's plagiarized from these guys because there's no evidence that he had the, the writings on Agatha or anything like that. And there's no evidence that he even knew about any of that stuff. Um, they say, the authors say, we have absolute conviction about his good faith, about the reality, they say in inverted commas, of what he detected, even if the concept of reality must be understood in a broad sense. They say Poro certainly had the opportunity to come into contact with a source of information and faithfully reported what he could learn. But this does not imply that such information has a precise correspondence with material objects that we'll actually find in the soil. And I think it's really intriguing that they state that so explicitly because these guys understand this is something occult. This is something 
this is something mysterious and strange, something magical. Well, it's, it's a cult in the actual sense of the word, isn't it? That it's hidden knowledge. You know, and this is what it is. There's some type of, of hidden knowledge that, you know, it, it sounds like it's crazy, but often yeah. hidden knowledge does sound crazy. It's the kind of thing that you'd be tempted to go, this guy's nuts. This is all yeah. his imagination. But then who are those two guys in the restaurant that Professor Villa met himself? Who were those individuals? Well, you have to ask the question, you know, why do you have seemingly, you know, upstanding members of the academic community getting themselves involved in these sorts of things? That's where you have to start going, well, why would you put your reputation at risk? You know, why, would, why yeah. do people do these sorts of things? Are they just nuts? Where is he getting this from? Where is all this information well, this coming thing, from? Look, I, I often wonder about this um, energy that seems to pervade through people that are, are, are quite nuts, right? You know, and I'm, I'm not being politically correct here, but, you know, crazy people seem to have this energy that comes, I don't know where it comes from. And they, like, maybe if they're completely crazy, he has got time to sit down and write all this out. But just the amount of time and yeah. effort that would go into that, <laughs> if you're that crazy, you w I don't believe you would be able to to do that. Well, according to the authors, uh, when they spoke to Villa, they all, you know, when they were all still alive, they were all very serious, sincere, mm. collected individuals. And they would have discernment if this Poro guy was a nutcase. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell. You know, they could tell that he was onto something real and that's why they were so into the research. Well, some people might say, look, this is some type of scam for attention or for... And again, though... It's like it's a lot of effort to go to to pull a scam. Well, what their final thought that I that I highlighted, and there's a ton in this book, but they said just like a medium, Poro could have connected himself to the archives of the Akashic or to mighty egregores stationed on the mental plane. And that's where it does cross into you know, a cult. Yeah, what again, what is he tapping into? Why does it match that archetypal story of the king of the world emerging to the surface? That's where our meme of the mole people comes from. Mm, mm. Once again, mole people confirmed. Yeah, but they've got horns. They're not sexy. What are you talking you about? keep on talking about mole people being sexy, but they've got horns. It's just not eternal. What, what if they spaz out like that guy from Prometheus, that white dude, <laughs> that weird white alien in Prometheus, and they, they wake him up and he just goes on a massive, massive chimp out. <laughs> I love this meme. Alien has an IQ of like 50,000. First thing he does when he wakes up is go on a Hulk rampage like a retard. What was his fucking problem? <laughs> well, it made for a good story, didn't it? That's what might happen in the future. Like all these guys might come out of the spheres and we're going to have to fight them. The way oh. to destroy them is with bathwater. <laughs> you give them like game of bathwater and they just dissolve. The thing about it is, though, um, with these spheres, I was just thinking about those grid-like patterns of um, essentially these hibernation graveyards, if you will. That would suggest that if these things are going to rise up, there has, there has to be more of them around the world. It can't yeah, just be in this region of yeah. the Swiss Alps. He says that like their entire civilization had to, like a certain percentage had to go into these hibernation spheres. So there could be, what, thousands of them? Millions. Millions of them? There's millions of them. So why, okay, then you have to ask the question, why hasn't someone else come across them before? I mean, we do mining, we, you know, dig shopping centers. How come no one else has Be accidentally come across because them? Because only the um, Italio Schizo Disco machine could penetrate that deep <laughs> into the earth. And there's also okay. a suggestion of a cover-up. So this is the sketch I've got on the screen here. These are the moon bases. So he actually sketched the moon, the moon so installations. What it's like a like an apple stuck in the ground with a an antenna device sticking. Yeah. So all you'll see on the surface of the moon is the antenna, but underneath it's like a bulb, which is the the habitat. 
Um, and as a, they, he talks about the missiles they have in there. But hang on. Why would you have, if you can remotely detonate spheres, why would you need missiles? Well, when I said remotely detonate, he says it was, it was actually like an impact. It's like a ground penetrating bunker buster missile that they have. Uh, and then he, there's another moon shot where he's describing all these sources on the moon. If anything, it, it's just such a fascinating artistic creation, isn't it? So they had flying sources. Yeah, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. Um, not the most... <laughs> Not the most ergonomic cockpit. What? What? There's like a dog stuck at his forehead. What is that thing? <laughs> no. That's his uh, Italio Schizo Disco uh, mental communication tube. Uh, so this is one of the spaceships of the octopoid people. It doesn't appear. <laughs> it looks like a flying octopus. Yeah, it looks like a flying octopus. It's brilliant. The guy's brilliant. It's like something out of Rick and Morty. Yeah. And again, it's it's just amazing that this has gone undiscovered. For so long. So, hang on. Uh, obviously, we have No one's known about that this. Thing? No Go one's back. heard of this guy for the last, you know, 40, 50 years. What was that chimeric-looking weird griffin thing? Oh, that was one of the creatures from the Eocene period. So... Which is like, a, it's a giant chicken, basically. <laughs> so, rather than these... Uh, well, obviously, some of them went underground. But was there a battle? Like, does it say anywhere that there was oh, actually yeah. a battle between the yeah, octopoids yeah, yeah. and the human... Well, these creatures? The Dude, the book... You have to pick it up to kind of get a, a sense of just how kind of ambitious, ambitiously wacky it is. Yeah. Because they have chapters. Sorry for the screen. I'm just going to flick through. This Kindle app is uh, giving me grief. But there's uh, there's contributions from mathematicians. There's uh, a physicist who has a, an argument of why some of this can be possible. It is just really bizarre. I was just trying to find you some other diagrams of the kind of stuff they got. See how much I skipped? Yeah, I can see. Yeah. Like wow. there's these dinosaur guys. There's the calculations on the speed of hey, light. Is that a guy riding yeah. a triceratops? There's a guy riding a dinosaur. That's one of the, that's one of the ancient uh, mammalian creatures that existed 30 million years ago. Looks like a Tasmanian tiger. That's more of the language we just saw. And then there's these maps. Let me see if I can widen this a little bit. What are these maps for? This is where he's finding other underground structures. He even describes this underground tube system of tunnels that connect to an old train. <laughs> it's full on, man. So I just like kind of skimmed. I tried I can to skim see, this yeah. story out. But here's, here's the chapter I was thinking is. This is chapter three on the mechanics of the electronic diviner. It's by Diego Marin. And he breaks down... Like the infrared, the electromagnetic waves. He talks about the um, he he talks about the mutual proximity of the modifying um length submitted by the so, aggregated molecules. So like it's it, kind of a technical manual for it, is it? It is so technical. And does anyone you know pass commentary on that, whether or not that's plausible? Um, well, I couldn't understand it, so yeah, I wouldn't. The commentary is not coming from me, but if you would like to pick it up, I will link to the book in the show notes. I think that is just miraculous that we have a new story about uh, it's incredible. such an I intriguing, eccentric individual. But you're right. I mean, you hit on it a little bit earlier there. Even though it's a completely new take, like it's an incredible story, it really is like old hat. Like it's a story that we know in some sense, mm. but a completely different angle. Which well, then, we got to go to the obvious in that he was just um, he was being messed with by spirits. Yeah, well, we got to go there. That's 
Like he's channeling reams and reams of some alien language. Oh, he was channeling at one point. Well, how is he getting it? But when you said that he had it, I thought that he would somehow, like he found tablets. So I just thought that he was somehow transcribing no, the tablets. Everything, everything this guy got was through his device that he built. Yeah, okay. His, um, whatchamacallit, where is it? He's um, the electronic, electronic diviner, diviner through that thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what's to say that some you know low-level entity hadn't somehow tapped into that and was feeding him false readings? Yeah, like he's going into an altered state of consciousness. He's he's using a divining ability. It seems kind of elaborate, though, even for a low-level entity to do something like that. And then the guy died. Well, yeah, and then he's warned by these two weirdos so, yeah. in a restaurant and he dies exactly two because years later when they claim he will. Normally when we talk about people being kind of, you know, taken under the spell of these spirits and they spin this story, they don't normally die. You know, like they don't, but this, this is kind of, st- although they do die in that story of the guy with the airport. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it actually. They do die. They don't, they never die except when they do well, die like, and it's yeah. really bad. <laughs> they get really fucked up. Well, it consumes people. Like ultimately, but for me, like where I come back to with this is it's so nuts that the guy was warned he was going to die if he didn't stop and he didn't stop and then he died two years later. Maybe a coincidence, simply Mm -hmm. a coincidence, or is there more to it? Ancients Awakening, the archive of the lost race revealed by Rabdo Team. I'll link to it in the show notes. Really intriguing story. I do recommend you pick it up. I just hit the highlights, the nutshell of the broad story. But um, I would like to hear more on this. I want to know more about this guy. That's a wrap for our free show. Thanks for listening. We've got heaps of stuff coming up. I can't wait to hear about uh, donk. No, wait. Tulpa donkeys. Nazi CIA CIA. Mm -hmm. tulpa donkeys. Yes. Spiritual occult wars, (laughs) uh, spiritual occult group backstabbings, uh, the Nazis, uh, cows that are mutilated but not by UFOs. Uh, just really surreal kind of stuff. And ultimately, uh, this war that potentially has been going on for a long time that you know us normal people have no knowledge about. Us normies. We're normies. not normies on this show. Well, We're tapped into the underground spheres and the tulpa donkeys. That is true. Yeah, you're Our audience now. knows what's up. Our audience is prepared and ready. When the mole people come out and they fight That's all, true. all the normies that are allied with the great sphere... Our audience is going to be like, we're with you guys. I just... Let's go. You know what, though? I think Thanksgiving is coming up. So, you know, for you listening, I actually looking at the camera, for you listening, at Thanksgiving dinner, warn everyone at the table about what's going to happen. So yeah. everyone in your family, <laughs> they won't think you're nuts. They won't. Yeah, don't just, bring up politics. Don't. Bring up the king of the world and the underground spheres and the return of the mole people. So when these super buff Prometheus looking guys climb up out of your backyard, <laughs> compost heap, then you're like, look, I told you. See, Mysterious Universe warned us. Can you remember that scene where they wake him up? It's so ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. Like, they wake him up. Yeah, I do. And he pulls the android's head off and he just, it's like he turns into a, a WWF yeah, wrestler. Was it, wasn't he pissed off about the alien? Is that the whole point? I don't know. I, don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, it was so long chill ago. Chill out, bro. <laughs> uh, that's a wrap. Make sure you check out Plus, mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. Sign up today. Get access to the big extensions we do on these shows. Every single Friday. Uh, Plus members also get entirely exclusive shows every single Tuesday as well. You also get uh, an entirely ad-free version of the show. Uh, Plus members get an enhanced audio version of the show. And of course, all our videos that we do are fully unlocked and available on our website for our Plus members. You get videos of these shows on Friday, the full length. And also you get videos of our shows on Tuesday as well. Getting more than double the content if you sign up for Plus. 
Uh, if you sign up for MU Max, you get access to our massive back catalogue going back 16 or more years. That's available on our MU Max tier. Uh, sign up today. Again, mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. Help support your favourite show. That's a wrap for this free edition of MU. Thanks for listening. If you're on Plus, stick around for the awesome stuff after the break. For everyone else, we'll catch you next week. Plus extension, great to have you with us.